ask people who Jesus is, and you will discover a wide variety of answers. Journey with us to the Gospel of Mark as we discover the authentic Jesus. Who do you say Jesus is? Stanford Business School professor at a graduate class starts out the semester with a very unique activity. What she does is she asks uh, the students, she pairs them up and has them stare intently into the face of someone they probably haven't met before for a period of several minutes. And it's appropriate because what she's trying to get them to do is understand their audience because the title of the class that she teaches is called Power in Acting. And so as these two strangers begin to stare into the eyes of each other, you can imagine how it starts out very awkwardly. I mean, to stare down somebody you've never met before, right? And uh, she says, though, after a period of time, uh, usually a very special thing begins to happen Without any words, they begin to know the person that they're looking at. Uh, They begin to notice that the person uh, doesn't use enough sunscreen, right? Or maybe they had a problem with acne when they were younger or chicken pox. There are those scars that have stories behind them, right? There's laugh lines, worry lines. It's amazing what a person can learn just by staring intently into the face of another person. This morning, we have gathered together to stare into the glorious face of the real Jesus. Now, he's also staring at us. Now, some of you are already like, oh, that makes me a little nervous. If you're a little nervous about Jesus staring into your heart, that's okay. It should begin that way. It should begin with a recognition that we need Him and that there's something missing. And He's the one that can supply that. And so this morning, I hope that you can look into the eyes of the authentic Jesus. That's what the series through Mark is about, is looking into the eyes of someone that has created us, redeemed us, and sustains us. This is my favorite portrait of Jesus. It's by a guy named R. Hook. And uh, the first time I saw this, uh, 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 a copy of this portrait was in my sister's home. It was a gift uh, to her from someone that they knew, and uh, she's had it many years. And there's some very significant moments that I stared into the eyes of the portrait of this Jesus. The first time that I can recall of just looking at it for a while, have you ever, has there been a painting in your life that you just draws you. This was one for me. And it was when my, uh, my father passed away, very suddenly, very unexpectedly. And when I looked into the eyes of Jesus, I felt comfort. I felt hope. There's another time that I was at my sister's house. It was right before uh, my marriage was finally, my first marriage was finally over. And uh, I remember looking into that portrait 
and feeling not only hope, but also some shame. Because I knew there were things that I had done that had led to the end of that marriage. Another time that I looked intently into the eyes of Jesus is when my sister, who has this painting, when her husband passed away, very suddenly, very tragically, leading a a prayer retreat on a mountain with a bunch of men, and he was on his prayer walk early in the morning and just had a massive heart attack, a very athletic, kind of ready-for-the-world kind of guy, a great preacher. And I, I just remember sitting there with my sister and looking, looking into the eyes of Jesus. When we stare into the face of God, it's a treasured moment. It might make you feel intimidated at first, but if you want a relationship with Him, it will move from intimidation to something very more inviting, a friendship, a relationship with a king. It takes a while to know Jesus. He knows us, but it takes a while for us to know Him. This morning, I hope that you look into the eyes of the God-man and see His glory. Several weeks ago, a group of us guys were down at TRBC in Lynchburg, and Mac Powell from the old Third Day Band, they've now dismissed as a band, but he's still touring with a new band, and, uh, and, and he goes, I'm going to play a couple old songs, and so he played, Show Me Your Glory. So some of you Third Day fans, Mac Powell's got that unique voice. He, he sang that there, and I was just like, I remember that song. I'm awed by your glory. I, I, I want to come into your presence, right? I remember hearing that song and that first worship C, uh, CD by, uh, by, by uh, Third Day and thinking how, how, how it must be to step into the glorious place where God's at and how cool that would be. And, and actually kind of frightening, but also like, I, want, I can't wait to see that. I can't wait to come and stare into the face of my Savior and for Him to speak to me and embrace me and embrace all of us, right? So seeing the glory of Jesus strengthens us to follow Him. The Hebrew writer says, fix your eyes on Jesus for He is the author and the perfecter, the finisher of your faith. So the reason this message is here today is because I know from my own life and in conversations that I have with others that so often we take our eyes off Jesus, not because we want to, it's, it's not intentional at all, it's just because there's some really difficult moments in life and we begin to focus on the problem rather than the one who can solve it. We begin to take our eyes off Jesus. That's why we're told over and over again in different ways, fix your eyes on Him because seeing Him will strengthen your faith. And, and, and looking, at the, looking at the ocean around you or whatever, this roaring will, will not. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. There's nothing that gives us more comfort than looking into the eyes of of our Savior. I remember one time I was coming home from work. I was working second shift, and uh, I approached this car on its roof, kind of crushed down, and the wheels are still turning, and there's there's like some smoke rolling off the exhaust, and I was like, "There's nobody else here. This has just happened," 
And I stopped my truck and I got out and there was a girl trapped in that car. And uh, I remember, you know, reaching up and getting her seatbelt undone and then sliding out through the crushed roof. And I remember her look into my eyes like, I'm so glad you showed up, right? Some of you in the military or in, in emergency services, you probably had those same looks where people like you're helping them get out of a desperate situation and they're so grateful. Nothing is more encouraging than looking to the eyes of the one who saves us. That's why we show up. Now, last week, we looked at Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. There's a great big storm, and the apostles uh, were the disciples then. They're very terrified because of the storm. The boat begins to sink, and then Jesus, they wake him up, and he says, storm, shut up, and the waves stop, the wind stops, right? And then they're, then they're terrified because this guy just stopped. All, they realize they're in the boat with the creator of it all. And, and, and so this week, we're walking with Jesus and his disciples uh, about 30 miles north. It's about a 14-hour walk from the Sea of Galilee up to Caesarea Philippi. And he's got a very important lesson for them in two locations as they head north. And so uh, they're going to a place called the Gates of Hades. And uh, this is uh, in the city, outside the city of Caesarea Philippi. The, Caesarea, the, 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 the city was once called Peneus. And, and so um, it was called Peneus because it was formerly named after the Greek god Pan. Now it was said that Pan was one of those unique gods that could go from the, 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 the land of the dead, which is we call Hades. Hades does not mean hell. It just simply means the abode of the dead. And so he could go from the abode of the dead to the abode of the living. And that was his portal. He would come up out of that spring and he would walk around in the land of the living. Then he would go back. And people would come there and offer sacrifices. At one time they offered living sacrifices of people. And uh, it was kind of like one of those terrible moments where like if they threw him in and there was no blood, it was accepted. If there was blood, it wasn't accepted. So anyway, but there were other gods worshipped there. And the point is this, that Jesus brings his disciples and they stand at the gates of Hades and he's going to ask Peter a very important question. And so here's what he says. Well, what about you, speaking to Peter? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. It was in front of that cave that Jesus asked that question about who he is. And so we read from Matthew 16, 7 that, 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 that Jesus says, based on this good confession that I am the Christ, I will build my church. And so Peter, his name means Petra, or, 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 or uh, a little rock, or Petros, little rock. And Jesus says, based on, upon this Petros, this large bedrock, this confession, I will build my church. And, and it's right outside the gates of Hades. Now, that's fascinating when you think about it a little bit. What Jesus is using is this illustration that his kingdom will not be like Pan's kingdom, which will one day evaporate. How many worshipers of Pan do we have here today, right? None, because the kingdom doesn't exist. And he says that where Pan is coming from, the abode of the dead, my kingdom will overcome that. Jesus is saying, I will overcome death. 
And so he brings them to that moment, and, 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 and he gets them to understand that his kingdom will outlive any of the kingdoms that they see in the Roman Empire and system of worship. Then right away, Jesus says this, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that, they must, uh, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. So here's what Jesus does. He says, I'm king. My kingdom will outlast all these, but I will die. And I don't want you to be misled because that's not the end. I'm going to go into death. I'm going to go down to Hades, if you will. And I'm going to go through the gates of death, right? And I'm going to bring out all those who've waited for my appearing. I will be victorious. Don't you give up when you see me suffer and die on a cross. That's not the end. Then immediately, Mark says, he explains those who follow him will have difficulties as well. He called to the crowd to him and he said uh, to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. That phrase, deny themselves, means that we take our desires and submit them to the lordship of Jesus' desires. He's boss, we're not. Now, this scripture is given to anyone who says they follow Jesus. This is probably the most intimidating scripture you'll ever read about being a follower of Jesus. That you may be brought to the point of death for following Jesus. I mean, those words don't mean a lot to us, but there are places in the world where becoming a Christian means that you now are an enemy of the state or some warlord or something like that. And many people die for their faith every day. Literally die because they claim Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But I sometimes, I don't know about you, but it's almost that like, not that death is easy, but like living day in and day out and trying to keep Jesus as your Lord. The thing about a living sacrifice is it likes to crawl, crawl off the altar every once in a while. You got one, you know, you track with me here? Okay. Sometimes it's very difficult, like, to deny yourself and take up your cross. I mean, it, your cross is not, you know, you've got a bad knee. Your cross means that you are bearing the burdens for someone else so that they might see the kingdom of God. That's what that means. And so, no more challenging words. And so, Jesus says, it's going to be difficult. That's why he takes them from Caesarea Philippi, outside the worship spot of Pan, up to a mountaintop, Mount Hermon. Now, the life of Jesus is lived out in an area that's 150 miles tall and 90 miles wide. And Jesus only goes outside of it one time when he's a child to Egypt. So Jesus, he, he goes to the northernmost point of his ministry, Mount Hermon, up to where, where there's, you know, it's kind of cool and you're up there kind of high. And he's going to walk from there straight down to the cross. It's going to be one journey from where this Mount Transfiguration is going to take place. We're going to read about straight down to the cross. And so what he's planning to do is then give them a glimpse of his glory. And that's what I hope you see this morning. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured. The word is metamorphous, right? We get that caterpillar to butterfly. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. 
And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us build three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. We don't need one. Can we just hide? Is basically what he's seeing. I don't know about you, but if I saw Moses and Elijah and a transfigured Jesus just come up here on stage, I would be a little terrified, and so were they. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Now, in Mark 1.11, we have the first time the father's voice is recorded about his son Jesus. It says, a voice came from heaven, Mark 1.11. This is my son whom I love, and I am well pleased. But this time, there's an addition onto that statement. Listen to him. He has been given authority. Listen to what he's saying to you. And so what's taking place here is the father is affirming his love for the son. And that, and that happens at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it happens right now as he begins his descent from Mount Hermon down to Jerusalem where he will die on a cross. Now, I want to Bible geek out on you just for a minute. Because the Bible is one continuous story with Jesus as a centerpiece. And he is bringing redemption for all mankind. Hey, Joe, what's the Bible about? Well, let me tell you, Sam, the Bible is about one continuous story with Jesus at the center bringing redemption for all mankind. There, you've learned something. Now go wow your neighbors, right? So here's what's going on here. This moment is, uh, is prefigured in another moment in the Old Testament. And it happens when Egypt has got the Israelites in bondage and Moses is, leads them out and the ten plagues happen and they cross the Red Sea and they come to Mount Sinai and the mountain is shaking with God's presence and Moses goes up on the mountain with certain people and as he goes up there he sees the Lord or sees his presence and he receives the big ten, the ten commandments, right? And so there's a, uh, there's a parallel here, there's a four prefiguring that we need to like just take a minute and recognize, and that is Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a mountain, just like Moses went up on the mountain Sinai to get the law, and he goes up there with Aaron, Nahab, and Abihu. Jesus is transfigured, and his clothes become radiantly white. Moses' skin uh, shines when he descends from the mountain after talking with God. God appears in a veiled form in the overshadowing cloud. God appears in a veiled form in the overshadowing cloud in both instances. A voice speaks from the cloud, and, and in Exodus, a voice speaks in the cloud as well. The people are astonished when they see Jesus after he descends from the mountain, and Moses as well. Are you tracking with me right now? Are you understanding that the Bible is not just like a hodgepodge of books with no continuous story? Absolutely just the opposite. All of these things are prefiguring the Messiah to come. It's all pointing to him. Everything's about him. Our life is found in him. And so uh, there's, there's one very different thing, though, about Moses' account in coming to the presence of God and Mount Hermon with Jesus and his disciples. And it is this. Moses is like the moon reflecting the glow of the sun that we see in the evening sky. But on Mount Hermon, Jesus, his glory is emanating him, from him. The glory is shining out of him. Here's what I'm saying. This is one of the very unique moments in all of Scripture where we see the two-ness of God at the same time. 
The Father speaks and we see the Son. And the Son's going to speak at the same time. And so we have the God-man with the Father in the same little moment. And it's just really cool. And a lot of times, we, you know, we don't understand how big this was, especially to a Jewish mind. And so um, Jesus is the glory of God in human form. Uh, the Hebrew writer says he's the radiance of God's glory. Like it's emitting from, it's radiating out from him. Now the word glory, doxa, is a manifestation of God's glory made known to us. That's what it means. You know, when we say glory to God in the highest, there's a manifestation of God's glory being made evident to mankind. We can see the doxa. We can see the glory. And so Peter, James, and John, they come into the very presence of God and don't die. Remember back in Exodus, if you know the story, Moses told the Israelites not to even come near because if, they, if, if anyone touched or an animal touched the mountain, they would die. And in the Old Testament, we have stories of people who were not prepared to come into the presence of God and they died. That even, even back in the day, we, we, we read from other biblical sources that because of the fear of the priest dying on the day of atonement, they would tie a cord to his leg in case he went into the presence of the Lord to offer blood sacrifice for the sins of Israel, to atone for the sins of Israel, and he wasn't right with God, he would die, and they, would have to, they couldn't go in there and get him, so they'd drag him out. Could you imagine that moment? Like they drag him out, and they go, next? <laughs> you know, like the next guy's like, no, it's, it's, I'm taking one step back, right? So anyway, so it's one of those moments. But, but here's the thing. That's why Peter says what he says. Let's build a tabernacle. I don't know what else to do, but in the Old Testament, they built a tabernacle to be somewhat protected from the presence of God. We also think that this is about the time it's the Feast of Booths that's going on down, or the Feast of Tents going on down in Jerusalem. And that celebrated God's provision as Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years. And so that may have been playing into what Peter's thinking, but here's the important point. Peter's scared because he knows the stories that you come into the presence of God and you die. And so there's got to be something that we do here to protect us. But what Peter hasn't understood yet, but he will, is that all of those Old Testament things prefigured Jesus to come. And so there was a high priest and he would offer sacrifices for the sins of Israel. Jesus is the high priest. And all the sacrifices that were given, there were five major categories, all those prefigured the ultimate sacrifice in Jesus, a sinless human who would die for another. And, and, and so, so there's that tabernacle, and inside the tabernacle is a table of showbread, and there's a candelabra which illuminates that, and then there's an altar of incense, right? And all of that prefigured Jesus. And so here's what Peter has yet to understand, that all of that was pointing to Jesus, the God becoming human. God put on flesh and bone, and it wasn't a subtraction, it was an addition, we come into the presence of God. It's made possible. Do you get it? We are able to come into the presence of God and not die. <laughs> Sometimes we approach this Sunday morning worship a little too casually. I'm glad you feel welcome. I'm glad you got coffee. I'm glad you found a comfortable seat. Oh, it's a little humid in here today. Uh -huh. What I'm getting at is this. 
Had it not been for Jesus, we'd still be on the outer court watching some lonely character walking in, hoping he doesn't die. And so here, Peter, James, and John, they're right in the middle of worship with the Lord, seeing His glory, and they're still living. I need to... I really want to drive this home. Uh, Here's the thing. I went to a number of places of worship, and one of them was in India. This is New Delhi. And this temple is the temple... uh, 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 Lakshim, that is best my enunciation of it, and there's some steps right in the center there where you walk in, and uh, this old boy uh, from East Tennessee just about got hauled off to uh, an Indian jail, because I'm like any good uh, tourist on a mission trip, or a mission trip with a tourist, however you want to look at that, and I got my Sony Handycam, and I'm like, man, this is going to make some great footage, I'm going to show this at church, and I start to walk in there, and this guy with an AK grabs me, pulls me off the side, and I think, I'm done, man, I just, I don't know what I've done, but I've done something wrong, and luckily, one of the nationals, one of the guys, he's one of the preachers, he begins to talk, and they talk it out, and I lose my camera, but I, I'm here, right? And so anyway, uh, this, is, this temple is devoted to uh, multiple uh, religions, Hindu religion, uh, Buddha, there's some other, I think there's some other forms of worship in there. But this is a god, Shiva, that you might have seen her. Sometimes she has multiple arms. Sometimes she has multiple breasts. Sometimes she has, you know, she's big and scary. And sometimes she's kind of, you know, but, but these are, this is an alcove of worship. And just like you've come here on Sunday, there are families in India that go to this temple and they bring their family and they come outside that alcove and they look at that figure and, and they begin to worship. And then there's another figure uh, there. This, this one is Durga. And Durga's kind of scary. He's got cobras that come out of his head. And one of his worshipers, I don't know, didn't bring enough offering that day, you know, and, uh, and is getting eaten or something, you know, something very scary is happening. And, and my point is this, that when man tries to create gods that they can relate with, they're always terrifying. They're always like, what? I, <laughs> he's going to do what to me? You know, and, and, and so here's what I'm saying. Jesus, the God-man, he sits down beside us. He, he's at communion. He touches the leper. The woman who's had five husbands, and she's with one. Not, he, has, he basically has a cool cup of water with her and invites her to church. I mean, is that not cool? Do you see when you compare Christianity to other forms of religion, there's absolutely no comparison? Like only the God-man would, would present himself, his glory, and his humanity at the same time. And we can relate to him and relate to that. And so, Ajay Law, he's one of the missionaries that we support here. $200 a month we send to their mission because of your generosity. And what, one of the sermons that he preaches all over the Hindu world, all over India, he's preached this on national television to literally millions of people. And the title of the sermon is, What Has Your Gods Done For You Lately? And so Jesus is the one that brings salvation. Jesus is the one that says, man, woman, boy, girl, no matter what tribe you come from, you're equal at the cross. Because that's not what Hinduism teaches, right? There's a caste system, and it's still functioning. And so here's what I'm saying. Jesus, he, he presents a message that no one's ever heard of. 
and, 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 and we get to come in presence to His glory and not die. Now, the way of Christ is a journey to the cross. That's why we need a glimpse of the glory. That's why they needed it. That's why Jesus needed it. And so, immediately after Jesus tells Peter, hey, because of your confession, I'm going to build, because your confession, I'm going to build my church on that fact that I'm the Christ. Then he warns them of the suffering to come. And that's why he needed to take them to a mountaintop and give them a halftime speech and say, hey, listen, this is, it's not going to end in death. I want to, I want to give you a glimpse of the kingdom and my glory. Peekaboo. And then, you know, like, whoa, what was that? Can I see that again? Nope, just one time showing. No, I don't know how long it lasted, but here's what I'm saying. That, that they get that glimpse, and it, and it carries with them for the rest of their lives. They needed to see the glory. We need to see His glory, because this life is difficult. Peter, he says about that moment in his last letter, he says, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. He's saying, I saw Him feed 5,000. I saw Him heal the blind. I saw Him raise dead people. I saw Him after His death and He was resurrected. And, and I saw Him on Mount Hermon with Moses and Elijah and they were in glorified state. Our faith is anchored in eyewitness testimony. You have no fear in wondering if this is true or not. This is so true. These people died for this truth. And so, so certainly we should be uh, incredibly strengthened with knowing that Jesus presented himself in glory. And you know what? We too will one day be glorified. It will happen. Some of you need it more than others. But it's a joke. Right? It's, just, it's a joke, people. You can laugh in church. So Elizabeth Elliot, Into the Spear movie. If you haven't watched Into the Spear, you ought to watch it. It's about uh, uh, five missionary families that go to uh, South America. And they're presenting the gospel. And the husbands fly in in a small plane, and they're all murdered by the tribe people. And Elizabeth Elliot and the other wives stay, and they evangelize these people. They forgave people that killed their husbands. Who does that? Jesus' followers. That's what they do. Anyway, she says this. We have proved beyond any doubt that he means what he says. His grace is sufficient. Nothing can separate, separate us from the love of Christ. We pray that if any anywhere are fearing that the cost of discipleship is too great, that they may be given a, a glimpse, the treasure in heaven promise. Man, I so much want you to come here on a Lord's Day and get a glimpse of God because you and I need it. This is not easy. Being a disciple of Jesus is not for sissies. Right? It's, it's, it's difficult. And so, I've seen people walk away from one job to serve at a place like Hargrave Military Academy so that they can invest in young minds. I've seen teachers stay in school systems that are, are broken 
just so they can be a presence of the Lord in the public school system. I've witnessed people be so generous with their abilities or their financial wealth so that the kingdom might be established in some place. Yesterday, I was helping my daughter move into their new home in Roanoke Rapids. They've been through some difficult church experiences, and he could have a job in multiple places doing because he's so talented, but he's staying in the ministry because he knows it's the kingdom of God that will bring the best hope to this broken and dying world. I'm telling you, man, I have stood beside heroes. And the reason that we can do this is because every once in a while we get a glimpse of how great and glorious Jesus is. And we just get excited. It's like one day he's going to throw his arms around me and we're going to be held by him and he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You didn't give up. When that lady said something to you at church, you didn't leave church, right? Or they spelled your name wrong in the bulletin. And you didn't throw your hands up and say, I'm never coming back there. You know? Or somebody said to my kid in the nursery, hey, be quiet. And I I was just offended. You know, what? What the world? I mean, think about it. It's so important that we get how what Jesus has gone through, what he's calling us to go through. And it's it's like, this is not all there is. It's worth it. Is it not worth it? It's worth it. All right, it's worth it. Thank you. I got a witness. All right. So how do we access the glory of God? Worship. Now, let me say this. Helplessness, not holiness, is the first step. Here's what that, says, here's the, here's what that sounds like, that statement on the street. Well, when I get my life together, I'm going to come back to church. When I quit smoking and drinking and chewing and running with girls and guys that do or whatever that phrase goes, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm getting back in church, man. I just got, I got some things to work out. Well, listen, let me tell you something, or let me tell them something. The first step is just to recognize you need help. I need outside help. I need somebody to punch through the wall that's keeping me imprisoned and get me out of here. And so um, <laughs> Jesus wants us to understand that it's not our performance that gives us a relationship with Him. It's His perfection that is freely given to us by faith. And it's not anything you can do to earn it. You can only ask for it, and He's more than willing to give it. But it does come with a challenge that follows, and that's following Him because it ain't easy. And so... Religion says, give God a good record, then God owes you a blessing. If you have enough faith, you'll be healed. If you have enough faith, your bills will get paid. If you had enough faith, that's a health, wealth gospel. It comes straight from hell. It doesn't come from Jesus. Here's what Jesus says. You're absolutely helpless. Have faith in me. That's what Jesus says. Be on guard for those that go back to performance teaching. And then make experiencing God a priority. What do I mean by that? Well, here's what I do. I get my clothes washed on Saturday because it's usually when we wash clothes. It's really not that spiritual. <laughs> and I'm like, and, I, and I, I, I go to bed. I got everything laid out. I got the coffee ready to go. 
And when I get up, man, I, I start with prayer. And you know what I ask? Here's what I asked this morning, about 3.45. I don't know why I woke up. Somebody was snoring in the bedroom. <laughs> My dog, buddy. It's <laughs> a guy in the first service said, man, you need to leave that out. <laughs> She's not in here now. <laughs> so anyway, here's the point. I don't know what the point was. No, I know what it is. I, my prayer starts on, on Sunday morning. God, will you, will, Jesus, will you come to Cornerstone today? Will you come and be with us today? And would your Holy Spirit be present with each individual? Are you praying that too? Pray something like that. When you, either when you go to bed or when you rise. Don't stay up so stinking late that you've got to stumble out of bed and just make it. You know, what I'm saying is, make worship to a holy God a priority. I mean, it really does bring you into the... I mean, Old Testament Israel had to do that. We don't have to do that, but we get to do that. Sometimes the longest road a person walks is going from I have to to I get to. Are you tracking? All right, so if we could just get a glimpse of his kingdom, we can do this. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, the Messiah. What about you? Who do you say he is? Really? And, and could you just like take a moment and think about it. I, I don't know if this helps you. It helps me. Maybe it doesn't help you. Just, just look into the eyes of Jesus. Stare into his glorious grace. And think about who he is. He knows us. And he wants us. Isn't that great? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity. And I just pray, Father, it would bring encouragement. It's, all, it's challenging. I know. I do not feel worthy to be called a follower. But, Father, I'm getting past that. And I pray that each one of us would get past things like that, stinking thinking, that keeps us separate from you. And, Father, help us right now just to behold your glory. If we need to close our eyes or we need to think about the rainbow of color surrounding your throne, or if we need to think about the cross or if we need to think about your return, or if we need to think about that image that I put on the screen, there is something that helps us see you, Father. Help us to worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.